Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. We hope everyone is having a great January out there. You know, John, we're well into the new year now. Have you stopped celebrating the Clemson win? Not yet. You're still Not doing yet. We're you, still celebrating the national championship. You finally but, took uh, took down the decorations in the office, thank goodness. That was true. getting a little we're, we're, a little much. We're toning it down. I'm not wearing Clemson garb yeah. anymore. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, we won't discuss that this morning. But we are having a great January. You know, the markets have started off nicely. Yes, here. they have. They've had a recovery since, uh, you know, the low point was uh, Christmas Eve, and um, it, it has recovered. From Christmas Eve, it's up about, you know, 10%. Yeah, that's that's not insignificant, you know. Now, it's going to take, you know, quite a bit more than that to get back to where the markets were at their high point back in September. But still, that's a pretty nice a nice step in the right direction, if you will. So, you know, if you haven't looked at your portfolio online lately and you're out there, you know, just keep in mind that, that it is having a pretty nice you know, recovery here in January. So reason to celebrate. We That's always, right. We always like to start off with a positive here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but we do have a great show today. And, uh, you know, we're going to start off with the five mistakes to avoid when retiring early. Yeah, one of the things that we focus a lot on is planning, Steve. And, um, you know, when folks come in, uh, that's really how we start the discussion is what are your goals and plans? And a lot of folks do want to retire early in their mid-50s and, you know, maybe late 50s, uh, some people in their early 50s as well. So there's some things that you want to make sure that you're, um, you know, thinking about as you go into those uh, those stages and doing the planning piece of it. And uh, we have a lot of experience in this area, so it's a great conversation. Yeah, that's going to be a great topic. And then we're going to talk about the five <laughs> expensive travel mistakes. Mm. We're all about fives here. Fives. Yeah, we have five and, and a th- few more that are thrown in there. But you know, it's that time of year when people start kind of booking their reservations for travel this year, and maybe you're planning a winter vacation. And uh, I just love talking about vacations anyway. So <laughs> yes, you do. Particularly <laughs> so, in January. Yeah, particularly in January when it's cold. So uh, so yeah, we have a great article that talks about the five expensive travel mistakes, how to avoid those, and what to look for. And, and some of them are kind of pithy things that you wouldn't normally pick up on. So I, I think that you'll enjoy that. And uh, by the way, I am Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can also listen to it directly from your uh, your computer or smartphone. And uh, a lot of videos and uh, calculators and tools out on the website. We have a, a Facebook page, uh, MoneyMD, that we put a, uh, a post out every week, uh, a prescription of the week, and a Twitter handle as well. So uh, a lot of, a lot of different ways in Twitter handles money and D. So go check us out. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there for you. And also you can reach us by email. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website. We're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this uh, is looking at the uh, the market performance going all the way back to 1926. So, man, we're looking at, uh, you know, not quite 100 years, but uh, close to it. And, and Steve, this is interesting. 84% of the rolling three-year periods for the S&P 500 index have produced a positive return. Now, that's not 100%. 
Yeah, but right? it's still pretty good. 84%, 84% of three-year periods have produced a positive return. So there, there will be times that the market goes for three years without making any money. And a lot of times people get impatient and frustrated and so forth. Uh, historically, those have been pretty good times to buy, right? Because it's always come back up. And when it recovers, Definitely. it's usually pretty big. Yeah, when markets are down, you know, like like uh, Warren Buffett says, right? You want to you want to fear when others are greedy, but you want to be greedy when others are fearful. Yes. So, uh, he's a, he's to, a pretty smart dude, he's too. He's a pretty smart dude. So you want to, uh, if you want to buy when markets are low, and now might be a good opportunity for that. But yeah, I like this three-year stat because it just says if you have three years, and everybody has a three-year time horizon if you're investing in the stock market, most likely you should. And so the odds are greatly in your favor of a positive return if you have three years, 84%. And that's for the S&P 500. With a diversified portfolio, it's even higher odds. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, um, so I think that's a very interesting fact of the week and very applicable to, to what we're doing here. Anyway, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the five mistakes to avoid when retiring early. Yeah, and Steve, you know, 65 has always kind of stood out for people as kind of the target retirement age. That's when, um, you know, you become eligible for Medicare, Social Security is available. Um, But, you know, a a recent survey found that 15% of adults in the U.S. expect to retire um, before the age of 60 and about 29% um, between 60 and 65. So um, this is an article out of Bottom Line uh, Inc. Um, so it's a really good discussion, kind of looking at, um, and we see that people come in that are in their 40s and even early 50s, and they, they're looking to retire sooner than 65. So, you know, early retirement, it, it might be wonderful if you can afford it, but there's some dangerous things that if you don't uh, handle the right way, it could sabotage your retirement. So certainly making that early retirement dream, it requires uh, careful planning. Um, you know, you have fewer years to, to save and a longer wait for government retirement benefits. So what's more, you know, economic trends um, certainly are affecting retirees' health care costs is certainly a, a big uh, question mark. So as people, you know, think about retiring, one of the things they have to solve is their health care, right? Yeah, um, sometimes the, they'll get it from their employer, but many times not. So uh, inflation is another, you know, question as well. So, you know, because of these factors, anyone planning for retirement, uh, you got to develop a discipline uh, strategy. So these are five common missteps that we see um, when when people are retiring early, you have to think about these five things. And if you don't, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And here's one that's becoming more popular. And that is, you know, not considering a phased retirement plan, um, because that is becoming more popular. Many retirees nowadays, they, they do kind of phase into it. They don't just jump right in, you know, and just stop working all together, you know, lock, stock and barrel. Um, but you know, so a mistake would be picking an age at which you want to stop working and then just figuring out, you know, how much you need to save to reach that goal, but then don't even consider the other options that are out there. Um, so that black and white by the numbers approach doesn't reflect the reality that retirement does come in many shades and it can include a more gradual phase out from your career, such as downshifting to part-time work, you know, working more hours from home, maybe or switch into a less stressful job. You know, that kind of transition can help bridge the potential financial and kind of psychological gap between a career and full-time retirement. Um, so to do this, rather than focusing on the day-to-day, uh, the day that you're going to stop working altogether, you know, and you're not going to ever work another another minute, 
Think about a period when you would start working less and you would and envision some scenarios where you could maybe work part time. Um, you know, maybe you would, you know, and carry that to full retirement age or maybe you work from home or maybe you do some consulting. Um, there's a lots of ways to do it or maybe just move to a less stressful job and just, you know, go work somewhere just more enjoyable for less pay. Yeah. Lots of ways to phase into retirement. So consider all your options. Don't just pick, you know, one hard and fast uh, period when you're going to retire. Yeah. And I know that uh, this is kind of the one of the fun parts of the job. There, there's many of them, but sitting down and helping people plan and kind of planting that seed. And um, I, I mean, I know I talk to folks all the time and I know you do as well about this approach. And, you know, some people have the skills that they can then go consult. And so let's say maybe you're making, um, you know, a hundred thousand per year and your retirement plan um, allows you to work part time for maybe forty or fifty for you know several years right. as you get closer to uh, Social Security age and so forth. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I had a gentleman that just retired at age fifty five, and um, he's uh, you know paying off all his debt, so he's going to be in good shape there. He's got a nice pension coming in, and he's going to go work um, part time doing something that he really enjoys. And his his wife right. is actually going to travel with him <clears throat> as okay. well. So really neat. I know you have a lot of stories like that as well. So that part-time yep. opportunity yep. can allow you to get off kind of the the uh, the wheel, if you will, and go do some other stuff. Yeah. And I'll say, I just sat down with somebody, I think it was earlier this week or last week, that's kind of a similar thing, but they were going to change jobs. They were going to go work somewhere in retail just and just and they already are. In fact, I went to work for like Home Depot or someplace, just some place that they could just you mm-hmm. know really relax yeah. and not have to work so hard. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so that's you got to make sure you you know as you look at retiring early. That's probably that's a great strategy to uh, entail into that into that plan. Mistake number two is failing to establish multiple income streams. I mean, preparing for early retirement involves more than just building a nest egg of a certain size and then tapping that money to pay for living expenses. Um, You know, to maintain the retirement lifestyle you envision, it can be very helpful to have income from multiple sources, not just the, you know, traditional retirement savings and investment accounts. And, you know, there's a psychological benefit from not having to depend on just one single source of income. Um, so if you have IRAs and 401ks, you know, if you're early, if you're younger than 59 and a half, um, there's some challenges with the penalty. There's a 10% penalty on there. So, you know, reducing the net income you receive, um, you know, if you have to pull out of IRAs, you want to think about some different sources, maybe like brokerage accounts. Um, some people do rental homes and there's some different strategies out there, but you got to figure out where the income is going to come from. Yeah, that's exactly like <clears throat> right. And just like you mentioned, you know, you can do a brokerage account and you don't have to wait to age 59 and a half to access those. And, you know, in other words, that's just an individual account. It can be, of course, in mutual funds, well diversified, um, but it's a taxable investment that you can tap into without any constraints and just pay long term capital gains rates whenever you tap those investments and you have full access to it. Um, but, you know, another one would be, like I said, working part-time or even, uh, you know, doing doing a rental property, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, you know, where you can just um, just just collect the rent. If you have good tenants and you're, you're good at that and you can do some fix-it-up yourself, that can be a great source of another income stream that will help you, you know, bridge that gap. I had uh, um, some clients that I talked to recently, mm-hmm. and they were a part of the MOCs facility and they were laid yep. off. And yep. um, so they're going to actually um, Airbnb their home. They have a camper. Yeah, they love a, traveling. Okay. And so, you know, 
That's a great way of doing it. Maybe 500, yeah. maybe 1500 a month. So they're going to, they're pretty excited about looking into that. So there's a lot of different ways to look at income uh, streams. You got to be careful though. Um, you know, you're, you think about your IRAs and <clears throat> 401ks. Um, one of the stats that we know, Steve, is that markets go down about 25% of the time. So you got to have a process in place to handle those dips. So uh, in 2018, markets were down. When you need income, if you have some bonds that you can pull from, that's going to help protect your stocks. Um, so just make sure that you have a, a kind of a process in place and you kind of have gone through the planning on, all right, where's your income going to come from? And when the markets are down, how are you going to pull income out of your portfolio? So that's another big, uh, big factor that you want to consider. Yeah, exactly. So another mistake people make, and this is a little bit different than you normally hear, um, and that is waiting too long to start collecting Social Security. You know, we hear we hear often people say that you're you're collecting Social Security too too early is a mistake, but it also can be a mistake to wait too long because waiting as long as possible to collect Social Security, you know, it certainly makes financial sense for some people that have plenty of income from other sources, but it doesn't make sense for somebody that needs the income today that's retiring early, you know, at least not in every situation. So you have to look at every situation differently and consider all the options. So, of course, the longer you wait to collect Social Security up to age 70, the more that you're going to collect each month for the rest of your life. So that is certainly something you need to consider. Um, there is no benefit to wait till after age 70 um, because it, your maximum benefit is reached at that age. So you definitely want to collect at 70 or less. But for early retirees, you know, it can make sense to start collecting Social Security earlier, even at 62 you know, if you have other financial assets and and you need but you need the income now before, you know, age 67 or 65, uh, you know, and if you have another spouse that that can delay uh, mm-hmm. collecting their Social Security until a later date, it may make sense for one of you to collect it early and not both delay. <clears throat> Sometimes if you both delay to age 67 you're basically wasting one of them. You're not really you're not really benefiting from that first one that you could be collecting at age 62. Yeah, so it really comes down to doing some planning, understanding what your income needs are, what are the sources. Um, one of the things that I think we uh, we spend a lot of time on, I know um, when folks are in retirement, is where is that income going to come from? So we do the income projections by buckets, you know, pensions, Social Security, rentals, uh, investments, and so forth. So that's going to be a key factor. Uh, that you want to take a look at is Social Security planning. Uh, mistake number four is failing to visit a health insurance specialist. I mean, Steve, this is a big deal. Most most folks that are retiring before sixty five uh, have to go out and f- figure out what their um, yep. what their medical is going to look like, and um, you know it's um, it's an expensive proposition. There's a lot of a lot of choices out there. Um, you can go to the Affordable uh, Care Act uh, exchange, the health care exchange. There's uh, direct primary care. Um, type insurance out there. We've we've talked about Medicare or MediShare. MediShare is a good before. option for some people. Depends it, on pre-existing conditions. That kind that's of stuff. right. So there's you have to you have to figure that out. That is a big deal. So before when we sit down with folks to retire early, um, we got to have that income planning, but we also have to make sure their budget matches the income that can be generated. And part of that budget is the medical piece of it. So long-term care insurance is another piece of the puzzle that you got to understand. Uh, that can be very expensive. Um, if you, uh, if you haven't planned for it, it's something to certainly consider, but you gotta, you gotta crack the, um, medical, you know, code and figure out what that's going to look like if you retire early. 
Yeah, and the final mistake here is failing to factor in the cost of supporting grown children. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but roughly 40% of parents, believe it or not, John, 40% are providing adult children some level of financial support. That's a big number. That's a huge number, and you know, but it doesn't surprise me because we see this all the time. People that are supporting adult children, even as old as 35 or 40, that need some kind of support or just for some reason can't really get, you know, a good employment. Um, but this financial burden, it, it it falls especially heavily on early retirees, you know, whose children are likely, you know, to be younger, even more dependent than average. And it's not unusual for parents to spend more than $1,000 a month supporting their grown children, especially if uh, more than one of them is dependent. Uh, so if you plan to retire, you know, while your children are not financially independent, you know, you're going to have to plan plan to either cut them off at some point um you know you have to factor that in as an expense and you got to have a plan for that and you got to have some kind of transition to transition them onto their own support um because obviously you know that's a huge burden if you're trying to Mm -hmm. support adult children at some big level yeah in retirement and we do see folks that are that that they're just givers they have a giving spirit and they they give to a fault and they are not healthy themselves financially because they're giving so much to their family yep there's a really good book out there that dave ramsey recommends in this arena is called boundaries and uh, just kind of talks about uh, family dynamics with money and um I would recommend if you're struggling in this in this particular area, go read that book. It's very good. But you got to make sure that you have that built into your financial projections. So um, if you plan on retiring early, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to sit down with you and kind of go through your, your questions and your specific situation. So, yeah, right. those are some good things to look out for. Definitely, though. Good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with uh, losing a job and uh, what should I do to pay my bills? Um, you know, we hear that the government shutdown, a lot of workers are being impacted and um, are not able to pay the bills. So, um, you know, it, that's that's tough. If you, if you don't have an emergency fund, that means you're basically going to have to go into debt or sell some kind of retirement assets. Um, I would certainly say, you know, you got you to go into a conservation mode. Don't Go and spend yep. anything that you can help not spending, right? Out, going out to eat. You know, you got to cut everything down just to the basics, the living, the food, the transportation, and, um, you know, shelter. <clears throat> so um, I don't know the specific situation here, but, um, you know, if you – that's why you have an emergency fund. That's so critical. Right, right. And we yeah. see a lot of folks on the government shutdown are talking about not being able to make it after one paycheck. They don't have an emergency fund. That's right. That's that's sad, but that's, you know, that's partly on them. I mean, you you're, you got to have at least three months of expenses saved up in an emergency fund for that very situation. But but yeah, the first step, as you mentioned, John, is, you know, to go back to the budget and cut everything down to the bare bones, what you absolutely have to have. Drop your memberships. You can always get those back, you know, um, so or suspend them. You know, a lot of places, if you're a member of a country club, whatever, they'll let you suspend your membership. You mm-hmm. can just say, hey, I just want to drop out, stop paying the monthly for a while till I get back on my feet. And they'll let you do that. So you got to look at every option. You know, maybe sell some things, you know, to help generate some income. Um, You know, don't pay off all your debt. You know, some people, they'll get a lump sum, severance pay or something. They'll be like, well, I'm going to pay off this, you know, so I won't have this payment. Well, you can't go back and put a loan back on something. Mm -hmm. So you got to preserve your liquidity. You got to keep your money. 
you know, liquid and not go resist the urge to go pay off all of your debt. You know, you need to come up with a long term plan. And, you know, so don't don't drain yourself of all your liquidity and then be forced to, to go put, you know, bills on credit cards and stuff. So anyway, good question, though. Um, that's definitely something that uh, you want to consult, you know, some advisors, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. give us a call if you're a client, and you're in that situation and you lose your job. And we can certainly help you uh, navigate all those tough decisions you have to make. Okay, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is the five expensive travel mistakes. Um, yeah, this is a recent article out of Bottom Line Personal. Uh, Corey Sandler is the author of it. It's based on that article, but we certainly have some of our own experience we'll throw in here <laughs> as well. But, John, you know, it's that time of year when everybody kind of starts thinking about their next vacation and starting uh, to make some reservations. And, uh, you know, it's a great time to talk about how to save some money and avoid some mistakes. Unfortunately, you know, travel savings aren't always what they seem to be. Um, So we've got a lot of suggestions to look out for and some things to avoid. I mean, for instance, you know, you see those $99 airfares out there. Um, Well, they almost always omit like baggage fees, seat selection fees. Usually there's a there's a fee this just to be able to pick a seat on your plane. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's a lot of the cost involved and and so you have to you have to factor all that in. Um, you know, and that tropical resort that's offering the half off sale, you gotta check the deal's dates, you know. It, it could be the rainy season, uh you might spend half your trip inside. Um, you know, so it's not just the eye-catching advertised deals that can be deceptive either. You know, many of the travel expenses are purposely confusing, uh, made confusing by the travel industry. So you want to you want to make sure you look at all the details of the deals that are out there. So, but you may be experienced enough to avoid some of those traps, um, such as the low hotel rates on third-party travel sites that are often not as good of a deal that you can get from just going to the, the hotel's direct mm, directly, website. Right. Exactly. Um, so I find that with tea times, by the way, <laughs> you know, not to divert to golf here, yeah, that's right. but I golf now, you know, is a popular tea time travel site, uh, website, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times I'll always go check the, the, uh, country club or the golf courses website as well. And a lot of times it's cheaper on the website for the golf course. Hmm. You know, it's substantially cheaper. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, so it's not always like it seems. I would always check out their own website. Sometimes they'll run a deal there. They won't do it on the on the other site that they're paying an advertising fee at. Um, so anyway, but here are some of the five bigger mistakes that many experienced travelers are making, even when, you know, shopping for airfare hotels and other cruises. So here's the first one. Yeah, the first one is booking a non-refundable hotel room or rental car more than a month in advance. I mean, the best deals on hotel rooms and rental cars are often not available until you get really close to the travel date. And uh, there is a way to give yourself an opportunity to get the best deal without the risk of simply waiting. And that's to book a refundable hotel or rental car reservation about four to six weeks out before the trip. And um, then, you know, if you're you're sure of your travel plans, you can shop for a lower non-refundable price during the week uh, prior to your trip, um, when a lot of times there's, you know, attractive last-minute deals that pop up. So... I like that. You got some flexibility in there. And if you don't find anything better, then you keep what you have. Yeah. And that way you lock in a price and it's refundable. Hotel rooms are almost always refundable up to 48 hours before you arrive. So 
go ahead and book those hotel rooms and then uh but just keep checking back because yeah they have these last minute deals if the hotel's not going to be full um they may have some smoking deal on you know executive suite or something right that's uh that's even cheaper than what you've booked so you definitely want to do that now that doesn't necessarily work with airlines um and we'll get into that here but um yeah you want to keep checking the refund non-refundable prices right up to the day in the time when you can cancel the the refundable reservation without penalty. And if you find a better non-refundable price, then grab it, cancel the refundable reservation. For example, um, you know, they give here, they recently saved $150 by canceling a refundable car rental reservation one day before the trip and then booking a non-refundable last-minute deal instead. Um, but, it, you know, but as I just mentioned, this isn't, this doesn't work with airlines because the refundable airline tickets are almost always much more expensive than the non-refundable ones. And so as a rule of thumb, airline airfares tend to be the lowest a few weeks prior to the date of departure. Um, but this can vary and you risk, you know, sitting in a terrible seat. So you, you can't really play around with airlines. One of the philosophies I have with airlines is when I'm ready to book and I think it's, you know, I'm seeing reasonable deals out there, go ahead and book it. Um, and don't go keep going back and back on the site because if you do that, <laughs> the, the price goes up. I yeah. mean, they actually, you know, they actually, I mean, they have they know such, you're going. they have so much dynamic pricing. You can run the price up yourself just by <laughs> checking the price like ten times. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful with that. Um, that's a tricky one. So, but the next mistake here is paying for a one-way rental car pricing for an extended trip. This is one I haven't really thought of. Um, but yeah, car rental agencies, they often charge much steeper daily rates when travelers return cars to different locations other than where the cars are picked up. So, you know, potentially two to four times as much per day. So if you're renting a car only to drive from one city to another, there might be uh, no easy way to avoid these rates. But there is often a better option if you intend to spend some days traveling, you know, within the region. Um, as well as some days driving from region to region. Yeah. So, um, you know, just as an example, going from Boston to New York, if you did it, um, you know, if you did the rental on the front end, it's 150 bucks per day. But if you rented a car going to New York, dropped it off and then rented while you're in New York, um, this person saved about 600 bucks on that. So um, you got to, that's pretty good. I've never thought about that. Don't do a lot of traveling per se, but the rental piece of it, you can save a lot of money on. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then uh, another mistake is booking a flight through a discounted travel site that doesn't provide much key details after you commit to it. Yeah, I mean, some travelers are drawn to like Priceline, you know, or Hotwire, you know, their their hot rate deals on flights, but they can sometimes be 10 to 20 percent cheaper. But, you know, the catch is that these are non-refundable fares and, um, you know, they, they don't give you the details about, you know, exactly what the connections are. It can have a tight connection. It can get in really late. It can force you to to take an extra day's vacation. So that can cost as much as, as um, you know, as, as the difference in the price. So you don't want to avoid that. You definitely want to avoid that. 
Yeah, so um, here's a mistake here about booking uh, online tickets for airlines because there's a phone booking fee of uh, like 25 bucks is the typical. I don't think Delta and Southwest do that, but just because you call up on the phone doesn't mean that you can't get that that fee waived. So I know most people do. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I called and booked a ticket on on you know on a phone, but there may be some advantage to that, and you can get that 25 dollars waived. Yeah, they'll almost always <laughs> waive it if you call them and tell them you're having trouble booking on the website mm-hmm. or you have a good reason like you're one with frequent flyer miles and another one with uh with dollars um you know they'll waive it you know there's only a couple airlines like front and uh, frontier and sprint that will rarely waive those booking fees you know another mistake john is um comparing cruise itineraries and prices but not the cruise line and the ship quality oh there's a difference in quality there is definitely so i got a good story on this Go um, danielle my daughter came found a deal for um a cruise for like i don't know 200 bucks per person and so we had never been on a cruise before and we were interested in it so reasonable price well we got into it and there was some additional cost and the cruise ship that we got on was really really big because um, we had never been on a cruise really? before. Okay. But if you compare it to one of the real cruise ships, it was really, really small. <laughs> okay. And this cruise ship turned out to be a 1980 cruise ship that used to sail over in Europe. Oh, my goodness. And it had not been updated. Oh, my <laughs> it was, goodness. It was, I look back on it now. It was really, there was a reason why it was cheap, because it was cheap. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> so you got to be careful. Yeah. And what I was going to add to this conversation was, you know, the cruise line and the ship is more important than the destination. Yes. Keep that in mind, you know. So you got to check out, spend more time checking out the cruise line and the ship than you do, you know, the destination, because you're going to spend more time on the cruise ship than you are off the cruise ship in most likely case. And so, you know, Royal Caribbean is one I like. Celebrity, of course, is, is very nice. Um, you know, you kind of start going down the chain to Carnival and, you know, Costa and Holland America are a little bit, you know, a little bit below that. Um, so, but just look at it. They say here's a space to passenger ratio is one way to estimate the quality of the cruise ship, mm. which I've never heard of, but it's dividing the gross tonnage by the, uh, usable space of the ship, not the weight, but the usable space. Um, so that's interesting. And they say, you know, when it gets... When it gets 10 below, then you're going to be packed in like sardines when that ratio does. So, Interesting. I've never just, heard that. i never heard that either. Space to passenger ratio. So there you go. There are your five expensive travel mistakes and what to look for. And that leads us up to our final thing, which is the prescription of the week. Yeah, strategies to outsmart robocalls. Ooh, yeah, I want to hear about this. Yeah, um, you know, in August uh, this last year, there were 4.2 billion robocalls placed nationwide. And that was up from 2.9 billion. So it is a, it's a mess. Uh, they're out of control. Some things that you can do. Um, there's something called uh, Nomo Robo, N-O-M-O-R-O-B-O. Nomo Romo. Robo. <laughs> Robo, okay. that's right. Umail.com uh, is another, um, you know, uh, phone app that you can put, umail.com. Um, some, uh, you can, you have Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint. They all have services that you can put on the phone. They're about three bucks. Um, a month. So these apps will block the uh, call somehow? They do some of them, yep. They analyze the calls coming in with a smart blocking technology uh, feedback from, I think umail.com was one of the most popular ones. I'm going to go check that out from my phone. If you have a landline, there's um, some uh, Century 3.1 call screener 
another one called no solicitation. Um, so there's some things to block and I don't think it's a hundred percent effective, but man, I, I get calls all the time. I don't know about you. Yeah, I get some, I don't get many and I always block that number, but you know, they have a bunch of numbers they're using, right? They do. They do. And they're all look like local numbers Mm -hmm, and you block, but always block them. So I think if you block it like 10 times, you probably get their bank of numbers maybe, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's a tricky one, but I'll have to check out the... So, email.com is email.com a good com app, yep. And uh, no robo something. It's uh, no mo robo. <laughs> no mo robo. I'll yeah. check that one out, too. All right. Well, good prescription of the week. Um, this brings us to a close of this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.